Uh, I don't think I introduced myself a moment ago. My name is Kyle, lead pastor here, and uh, again, thanks for being here today. Uh, if you have a Bible, which I, I hope you do, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, today marks kind of the beginning of a, of a new short series on the Christian life, and so we're going to take a look at uh, the essential elements to building a faithful Christian life, right? Just faithful walk with the Lord. Uh, we're going to start today uh, with just talking about a love for God's Word. Uh, next week, we'll look at having a devotion to prayer. Week after that, it'll be a commitment to the saints. Week after that, will be a participation in the sacraments. And then a week after that will be a support for missions. And so we want to talk through those things over the next few weeks. And then we'll jump back into Acts as we begin February. So that's kind of a look at the next several weeks there. Uh, now why might you ask that we want to look at a, a series or do a series on the Christian life? Why do we need to look at uh, what this looks like? Well, I, I think... With the dawning of a new year, we're all kind of geared in our minds toward thinking about what would it look like for me to build a, a faithful walk in 2020, right? Or, or maybe it's not even a faithful walk. Maybe you're just, maybe that's kind of the last thing from your mind. Maybe you're thinking like, what steps do I need to take to, to get into shape or to be uh, more emotionally like stable or well? What steps do I need to take to kind of better myself? And the problem, I think, with so much of that, as we look back on 2019 and look into 2020, we may look back on 2019 and think, man, this was a really crummy year for some of us. Some of us may look back on 2019 and say, man, this has been overall just a really great year. Sure, it had its highs and its lows, but overall it's been a really, a really good year. Either way, if you look back on 2019 and you kind of assess the damage of it or assess the blessing of it, whatever that may look like for you, what you'll realize is that so much of what happened in 2019 was out of your control in some ways. A lot of the devastation, a lot of the, the bad things that took place, a lot of uh, even the good things a lot of times that took place in your life were just so much of that was out of your control. And so what I don't want to do is to come in here and offer you like this self-help, motivational speaker kind of idea of how you need to go take the world by the tail, right? I don't know that that's going to be real helpful. But what I want to do in this series is I want to talk to you about how to, or encourage you maybe, to build a routine of, of spiritual rules, not resolutions, but rules for your life. Like, as a believer, rather than simply just stating like these vague goals on kind of what you hope life looks like. These rules would be to encourage discipleship. They're not to encourage this performance-based rhythm for following the Lord, this thing that I can look back on and say, look how well I do at reading my Bible. Look how nice I am to other people. Look at me, look at me. It would be about none of those things. Rules, These spiritual rules are simply about discipleship. Becoming faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Men and women who are growing in their love for people and their faith in Jesus Christ. A guy by the name of Eugene Peterson who recently passed away, you may know him because he's the author of the Message Bible. 
which he meant not to be a Bible, but more of a paraphrase. But he, he said this about discipleship. He said, discipleship is simply a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. When we start thinking about discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction, then it, the question becomes, what am I going to be obedient to and which direction am I going? And this is where I think spiritual rules or habits, if you will, become extremely helpful for us. Today we're going to discuss the importance of Bible reading, but not, again, simply for checking things off. I want to talk about why Bible reading is essential for your life, why it's necessary for your life. And I'll talk more about the, in, in the end of this message about maybe how to help you make that happen, some steps you can take to do that. But before we do that, I think we have to talk about why it's important. Uh, now, I don't ever want to open God's Word without asking God for His help. So would you join me again in prayer? Heavenly Father, I stand today with the daunting task of laying before Your people uh, Your Word and, and hoping, Father, that, that through my, my finite words and my, my feeble attempt, that we'll walk away from this uh, more in love with Your Word. I praise You, Father, that You've not left me alone in this task. If You had, I would be hopeless. But Father, You have equipped each one of Your people with Your Spirit. I pray today, Father, as we open up Your Word, that You would teach us through Your Spirit how to become lovers of Your Word. People who desire to know You more fully. To follow You uh, more devoutly. Father, would You use Your Word today to edify Your people. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Al Mohler, the president of I think it's Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's got a real long name like that. Uh, he wrote uh, a little article called The Scandal of Biblical Illiteracy. Now, this was actually just a couple of years ago, and I, I've mentioned some of these things before, but, but, but a lot of what he said still applies, and so I've picked some of that out of here. He, he said, while America's evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldview's rejection of biblical Christianity, all right, so a lot of a lot of big words there. What he's saying is, while we're, we're right as Christians to be concerned about the world's rejection of biblical Christianity, right? To, to see that the world is clearly attacking biblical Christianity in, in, in our day, in our country even, but especially across the globe. Just two days ago, there were 11 more Christians who lost their heads for Christ. So, Christianity, biblical Christianity is under attack. America's evangelical believers have been under attack in many ways. Uh, and so he says, while we're right to be concerned about that, he said we ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home. Biblical illiteracy in the church. Now this scandalous problem is our own and it's up to us to fix it. So what he's laying before us is that there is within the church, within the body of Christ, now maybe not you specifically, but maybe you specifically, right? But just within the body, there is a biblical illiteracy about us. 
We, we may know some of the Word. We may say we love the Word, but largely we don't know what the Word says, why it says it, how to live by it, where to find things in the Bible. Largely, this is a book that we've just left unmined. It's, it's untapped. It sits uh, on our shelves. There was a poll by uh, Gallup, and these are some of the findings they found. It says 50%, sorry, less than 50% of adults can name the four Gospels. 60% can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans think God helps those who help themselves. That phrase is actually a Bible verse. 12% think Joan of Arc is Noah's wife. Seems plausible. 50% of high school graduates think Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Now, Mueller adds, the scandal is that Christian Americans know less and less about the Bible. We're knowing less and less. We're teaching less and less of the Bible, largely, and a lot of American Christianity. Now, it's important for you and me to value Bible reading. Amen? <laughs> Not only in mind, right? Not only up here where I say, man, it's a good thing to read your Bible. I think we would all say amen to that. Right? It's good for us to read our Bibles, but we should value it in heart, in action, in what we do. Our walk should back up our talk. We must invest ourselves in the Scriptures. Give ourselves to the Scriptures. The problem is that we simply do not treasure God's Word above whatever else it is you're spending your time doing. That I'm spending my time doing. You see, the Bible's not just a good thing. Bible reading isn't just a good thing. It's like oxygen. And what I mean by that is your, your arms are a good thing. Right? I, I, I like being able to use my arms, my hands. They're, it's nice to be able to touch things and feel things and pick up things and carry my children around. And if I couldn't do those things, that would be very difficult. But I could still live. I could still breathe. I could still function largely in, in a way that I could really enjoy life. Maybe even more because I would value things more. But if I lost oxygen, if you lost oxygen, you, you can't lose oxygen and function, right? You, you die. Bible reading is like oxygen for the faith of a believer. Bible intake, I should say whether you're hearing God's Word, whether you're reading God's Word, or hearing God's Word preached, or however you're coming into contact with God's Word, just even singing God's Word. These things are like oxygen for our lives as Christians. They're essential in this way. Jesus said as much when He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He goes on to say, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what man is to live by, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're not just simply feeding ourselves bread. In fact, we can fast and we can not eat for long periods of time and we'll be very hungry, 
but will still be alive. Jesus, the one who is called the Word, the one who the Bible says is the Word, the one who became flesh, the one who knows God's Word better than anyone, says that God's Word is essential to the Christian life. And my question is, do we believe Him? Do we think that what He says is true? Now, the faithful Christian life, I believe, is built upon a love for God's Word. If you're taking notes, you can write that down at the top of your worship guide there. The faithful Christian life is built upon a love for God's Word. Our our lives must be marked by, built on, the foundation of how we're building our life should be God's Word. Jesus says as much when He gives the parable of the two builders. He said that those of you who hear My words and do not do them are like the man who uh, built his house upon the sand. And when the rains came, the floods came, the house was knocked over, it was demolished. He says, but those of you who will hear my words and do them are like the man who built his house on the rock. The rains and the floods and the storms came and beat upon the house and it stood. So we want to build on the right foundation. Whose words are we building our lives on? That's my question for us today. Whose words am I building my life on? I think the faithful Christian life is, must be, absolutely built upon a love for God's Word. Let me read to you something that I think just really just kind of jumps off the pages of what life looks like today, of how the world looks around us today in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just going to read 1 through 17, and I'll pause a little during it and talk for a moment, but I want you to just kind of pay attention to the words, pay attention to what we're reading. And then I'll settle down at 16 and 17 and and finish out from there. But understand this, verse 1, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Now I'm in the camp that thinks we're living in the last days already. I I think we're awaiting now the return of Christ, and we can debate those things at any time you want to. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. But what we are waiting on is we're between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. I think that means we're in the last days because when I read a list like this and look around uh, the world, I think, that's it. Like this, These are the last days, but I think these are the last days since Christ ascended into heaven. I don't know that things are necessarily getting worse as much as I think um, we're just sinning differently. We're, we're becoming maybe more creative in the ways that we sin. But ultimately, sin is still 
destroying lives all over the world. I look into those scriptures there, those verses, and I see the world around us. Now, what I don't want to do is read a scripture like that and think, yeah, that's everyone else around me. I I don't want to be so self-righteous that I think I'm at times probably not a lover of good. There's probably times where I've been disobedient to my parents. Ungrateful. I know I'm unholy. Heartless. (laughs) Right? So, Paul goes on to write, he's, he's writing to Timothy here, and he says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Again, I, I see into the world today, I mean, truth is, <laughs> truth is always changing, right? I mean, the truth is whatever you wake up and say it is that day, largely. And we can't disagree with you in that. We're always arriving at new truth, but, or, or at knowledge, but never truth. He goes on to say, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men who also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So now he's talking about how people in our own camp can be these things. People who call themselves Christians will show they're not Christians. That they're deceiving people, but as they're being deceived. Again, I just kind of I'm using this as a way to like look into the world today and say, yeah, I see those things all around me. So what's the antidote to this? Like, what are we supposed to do in response to these things? Well, Paul lays it out here for Timothy. He says, you, however. I love that. I I could preach a sermon on you, however. Like, Like, you, this is the world around you, but you, however, are to be different. Amen? Are to be marked by something drastically different than that. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Amazing. He goes on to say, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We've talked about this a lot around here where we're tempted sometimes to look into the world and see evil people prospering. See, evil people seemingly getting ahead in life, seemingly doing all the great things in life, and by maybe a worldly standard, they are. But when we look into a Scripture like this and we understand they're, being, they're deceived and they're being further deceived. 
They're going from death to more death, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's not all rainbow and roses for them. And he says, You, however, he says again in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is why all these deconstruction of, of faith stories that kind of run rampant in our day today and how we kind of we value people who are all of a sudden able to look back on the things that, that men and women from Sunday school on up through adulthood were faithfully proclaiming for people to somehow one day just to wake up and say, you know what, all of that was a lie. I don't believe it anymore. Like That's just insane to me. And we look at them, not, maybe not us, but the world looks at them and they clap and they praise them because now you've got a greater acceptance for, for, for certain lifestyles. You've got a greater acceptance for, for sin. You've got a, you're, you're no longer talking anything about sin at all anymore. Now it's all about how love wins. Everyone gets to go to heaven. And you're praised as a saint for that. And I'm looking at you like, if you thought you were right all those years and then you wake up one day and think you're wrong, why in the heck am I going to follow you now? We've got a, a problem. We want so bad to have somebody's voice to listen to that, 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 that tickles our itching ears. We want somebody to, to help us find like the best expression of ourselves. And it's It's madness. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, or sorry, 16. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I think I've kind of laid out like these two worlds for you, right? There's the there's there's a Christian worldview. But as we call ourselves believers, this is how we are to live and to operate. And this will be the best expression of, of, of our humanness available to us. And then there's a, a worldly worldview where like you look inwardly and you find the fullest expression of who you are in yourself and no one gets to tell you otherwise and you get to, you get to walk in that. And, and that's life more abundantly. And it's going to change all the time because you're going to, as you're growing in that, you're going to learn that this truth and this truth and this truth are, you know, are different. And, and the problem with that is you're, you're never centering on what God's Word says. You're always trying to appease now the masses. <laughs> And, and what they're declaring as truth that day. Or maybe what your own heart's trying to declare as truth that day. Extremely dangerous. So when Paul writes and he says, here's what the world is going to look like. Here, Timothy, is the way in which you should go. 
And he begins the statement with all scriptures breathed out by God. I want to give you, I hate doing the steps thing. I'm just not real creative sometimes. So three steps to become a lover of God's word. First, you must treasure God's breathed word. I want to be a lover of God rather than a lover of pleasure. I want to be a lover of His Word, His truth, rather than a a lover of the world's Word and truth. I I must first treasure God's breathed Word. Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now scholars believe Paul coined a word here to describe the really high value of God's Word. He wrote down a word here that no one has seen in any Greek text whether Scripture or not, since or or before this. It's the word theopneustos, I think. (laughs) But if I say it confidently enough, you don't know the difference, right? Theopneustos. It's not used in any other Greek text. It, It means inspired by God. He says that God's Word is theopneustos. (laughs) It's inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. Paul is saying the Word is produced by the Spirit of God. He's saying it's it's to be understood as the air directly proceeding from the lungs of God. That's what these words are on on this paper. And and the words on the paper in front of you, those are the the words of God, theopneustos, there for you. Breathed out by God, placed there for you. The term stresses the divine origin of the Word of God. It, It can't be anything but. And so one of the one of the the critical thoughts of believing the Bible today is that it was written by a bunch of men. So what? When the Word is theopneustos through those men, it's inspired by God through these men over the course of literally thousands of years for guys who never even knew each other and it fits together better than a glove on your custom made for your own hand it's okay to say, in fact, it's more wonderful to me to say this was done by men, theopneustos, from God. Amen? Wow. I mean, I look at the Word of God and I marvel as I read from Genesis to Revelation and I just see the way all of these pieces fit together and the way God was doing things in Genesis that He's going to do again or is, has done again in the church and the Exodus and the church. And then we see these prophecies in the Old Testament that are being fulfilled in Christ, that have been fulfilled in Christ, that are being fulfilled in the church, that will be fulfilled one day at the end of all things. And all of these things work together to tell me that God so loved the world that He sent His Son to the world not to condemn us but to save us and that's the message of the scriptures i just don't get upset about that i get really excited about it and i think man god theopneustos me some more of this i i want more of this i want you to help me get it in here so that i can live and breathe And trust God when my world's falling apart and when your world is falling apart. And I get to come alongside you in that. 
The last thing you want from me is, brother or sister, I know how you feel. It's going to be okay. You need God's Word in those moments. And a hug. And I love giving hugs. i got to speed up. Um, Paul is saying that this Word is produced by the Spirit of God, right? So these writings that we hold in our hands and that have found their way now through digital technology into these little metal boxes we carry around that connect to the sky and help us to like navigate life, right? These, this word, which finds its way in an app that kind of gets hidden in the dark spaces of our phone, or maybe it shows up as a widget in the verse of the day type thing. This word, which we've taken and just kind of maybe we lay it beside uh, on a desk, kind of beside the back door so that we'll grab it as we head out to church the next day and we can lay it there as we come home from church on Sundays. This Word is God's breathed Word for you. It's God's breathed Word written for His people to know Him more fully, to experience life more abundantly. And we treat it like just any other book in the house. Maybe less than. I, I'm probably 100% sure and all statistics, you know, 70% of statistics are made up. So, But I'm sure that most of us treat this word as less valuable than social media. And at the end of all time, social media may be used for nothing else other than to show how much time we wasted that we could have been spending in God's Word and in prayer. I know that hurts because it hurts me. (laughs) When I consider the words breathed out by God, I'm reminded of creation. I'm reminded of, of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we see over and again that God spoke, and there was light. God spoke, and there was darkness. God spoke, and there was an expanse between the heavens and the earth. God spoke, and there was land and sea. God spoke, there was sky and the moon and the stars and the sun. And God spoke, and there were seasons and days and nights. And God, God spoke, and there were creatures on the earth and fish in the sea and birds in the air. God spoke, and man was created. Like... <laughs> So more specifically, as I think about man being created, I'm I'm reminded of the verse that says God created the man from the dust of the ground. He created him and then he breathed, it it says, he breathed into him the breath of life. So God speaks, he creates man out of the dust of the ground like a little mud clump just forms us and then breathes into us the breath of life and and there's Adam, man. The, The breath of God creating life in the beginning 
is the same breath of God which pins these words throughout the Scriptures for us, is the same breath of life that creates life in you and I today. Through His Word. It's no wonder then, friends, that Satan has deceived us into thinking something so mighty, so wonderful, so essential to our growth in godliness could be so pitiful, so glum, and so non-essential to our lives. Church, do not let the enemy go on deceiving you about God's Word. The most important battle you need to fight this year isn't physical. It's not political. It's not emotional. It's spiritual. Do not go on deceiving and being deceived. Fight, 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 brothers and sisters, to treasure God's Word above everything else in life. Second point I would like to make today is continue in the Word. Continue in the Word. Paul tells Timothy in verse 14, he says, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Matthew Henry notes here, he says, It's not enough to learn that which is good but we must continue in it and persevere in it unto the end. It's not enough to just learn it and to know it. We've got to continue in it. We've got to walk in it. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Jesus says in John 8 that if you abide in My Word, if you continue in it, you live in it, it becomes who you are, you hide yourself in My Word, you are truly My disciples. So the mark of a truly Christian life, a a faithful Christian life, is that it continues in the Word which brought about new life to begin with. It's not a running to the world from time to time with itching ears for the next great self-help book or the next great motivational speaker. It's continuing in the Word of God. Continuing in it. Making it a priority, a part of our lives because we understand that by it we live. I want to speak one more time again to this dangerous epidemic going on in our world. We have masses of people, even professing believers who are trying to find the truest expression of themselves within themselves. Again, their truth is their truth and you can't say it isn't because that's a different truth and that's your truth and you're a bigot if you try to force that truth on someone else. And that's utter nonsense. It's nonsense. There is truth. There, there is one truth. Truth. There is one word which we know is good and right and true. And this is it. And no, we don't run around bashing people over the head with it and forcing it on them, but we certainly don't shy away from it and we don't look for ways to kind of live around it so that it doesn't really affect our lives or the lives of those around us. We live boldly for the Word of God and if it costs us our life, so be it. If it costs us our job, so be it 
cost you your reputation, your marriage. So be it. We don't sacrifice truth on the altar of public acceptance. Just don't. Too much is at stake. Life and death literally hangs in the balance. Verse 15, Paul says that it was God's Word that brought Timothy to new life. In Romans 10, we understand that there is no life except that we hear from God's Word. That it comes from faith. Faith through hearing God's Word. Paul is saying that there is no life, at least not true life, outside of God's Word. Verses 1-9 through describe the people who seek life outside God's world. God's Word. Verses 15 through 17 stand in stark contrast to that. So, believer, I urge you continue in the Word. In 2020, continue in the Word. Fight to read God's Word daily. Continue in that which brought you new life. Make it a daily rule or a daily habit, if you will, to get into the scriptures before you get into your smartphone. As you do, as you do, your affections for God and His Word will grow wildly. You'll want to read it. You'll want to hear it as much as possible. Your peace, your joy, your faith, your love will grow. I've been fortunate to, to, to be walking through a discipleship process with, with uh, another man. At, and some of the things we've talked through have been really, really stinking difficult about how to deny ourselves and to follow the Lord. And I've just been urging over and again, you, you've got to get into the Scriptures. Like We can get together and I can talk and I can say good things, but you've got to be reading this for yourself daily. He came to me just a few weeks ago and, and he said, I've been, I've been reading daily. And he said, it's amazing how, how much better I feel. The weight of all this sin that's, that's really these temptations that are creeping up on me. Those, those weights are falling off. And he said, I'm, I'm just more joyous. I'm more excited about serving the Lord. I've got peace that I haven't had in forever. Praise God, brother. That's exactly what this is about. Now, we also grew up, I grew up, in a time where we looked at God's Word and the reading of it and being disciplined in it. And, and I, I came out of this scenario where, where I kind of looked back and I would say, man, that was very legalistic. That was a legalistic culture. And so how is it that what I'm telling you today is different than legalism? How is discipline different than legalism? Legalism reads God's Word for duty. Discipline reads God's Word for delight. Right? So discipline says, I know what my soul needs. I don't care what my heart is saying my soul needs in this moment. I know that my soul needs to delight in the Word of God and I'm going to go 
and I'm going to delight in it daily. Legalism says, well, I've got this reading plan my church gave me this morning. Let me start checking these boxes off each day so that I can fit in with all the other Christians there. And it becomes a duty. And it's possible for you to read that Bible plan all the way through and never once delight in God's Word. Now, I like your chances of reading it all the way through and at some point delighting in God's Word versus not reading it all at all. <laughs> but we've got to get our heart right before we go into this. It's not about legalism or duty. It's about simply delighting in the Word of God, treasuring it, continuing in it. Now, if you're an unbeliever in here, I'm grateful you're here. I want you to know this. I want to speak very candidly with you. You will not delight in God's Word naturally. The Bible says that knowledge, this truth of the Gospel, is foolishness to man. It's folly. So I want to tell you a few things that the Bible says and hope that brings about a desire for new life in you. In Romans 3.23, we read that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In John 3, we see the answer to this, that for God so loved the world that He sent His Son into the world. In Romans 6.23, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Nope, Romans 5. Romans 5.18. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6.23, we read that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans chapter 10, we read that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, this day you will be saved. So if you're here today and you've never confessed that Jesus is Lord, you've never believed it in your heart, I urge you today to believe that. last thing I want to talk to you about is consider it the sole source for knowing God and holiness. Again, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is the sole source for knowing God and growing in holiness, growing in godliness. He lays out for us the steps in which this happens. He, he lays out a, a formula for us. He says that God's Word is profitable for teaching. Meaning that God's Word teaches us that we're taught what is good and right and noble and lovely and true in the sight of God, and therefore we see what is not, which is then becomes it's profitable for reproof. It reproves us. It shows us what in us is contrary to what God says is good and right and noble and lovely, and then it does what? It corrects us. The Bible is profitable for correction. He doesn't leave us in reproof. He doesn't leave us damned in our sins. He, he now 
corrects. He brings about correction. Correction begins with salvation, but it continues as we walk in Christ. We have the initial justification from God through faith, and then as we're walking with the Lord, we're being sanctified, made more into the likeness and image of His Son. It's correcting us. And then finally, it's there for training. Those three steps, teaching, reproving, correcting, lead to training in godliness. Equipped for every good work. The four together provide this model for me and you as we encounter the Scriptures. What in it today is teaching me? What is it in here that's reproving me? What is it in here that's correcting me today? And how can those things be used to train me now for godliness? It also gives us a model to walk through with other people. As I sit and counsel people, or as I sit and try to disciple other men, and I try to help people follow the Lord more fully, what I'm doing is I'm teaching the Word of God. What's going on in your life? Okay, here's what God's Word says about this. Is that correcting something? Is that reproving something? Okay, well, let's lean into that. Is there something we need to confess? Is there a command we need to follow? Let's ask the Lord for His help now. Let's do this together. Trains us in godliness. As we see here, God's Word is the sole source for knowing Him. It's the sole source for growing in holiness. God's Word will never stop teaching you. You can be a believer for 50 plus, 60 plus years, and you can still go into God's Word and say, huh, I've never seen that before. It's the beauty of God's Word. You'll never mind the depths of it. You'll never know the fullness of the riches of the love of God, the heights, the depths, the widths of it. It's more than you can fathom. Praise the Lord. And He's wanting always to reveal Himself further to us. He does it through His Word. It'll never stop teaching. It'll never stop reproving. It'll never stop correcting. As long as we're on this side of heaven, we always need to be taught, reproved, and corrected, and trained for godliness. Amen? It's never... It it is, sorry, it is an ever-faithful life source for the Christian life. It's the way we are trained for a faithful Christian walk. And it's the way in which we train others. A guy by the name of Donald Whitney wrote a book on the spiritual disciplines. And this is what he says about the Bible, about Bible reading. He said, it's in the Bible that God tells us about Himself. And especially about Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God. It says the, the Bible unfolds the law of God to us and shows us how we, we've all broken it. There we learn how Christ died as a sinless, willing substitute for breakers of God's law and how we must repent and believe in Him to be right with God. In the Bible, we learn the ways and the will of the Lord. We find in Scripture how to live in a way that is pleasing to God as well as best and most fulfilling for ourselves. None of this eternally essential information can be found anywhere else except the Bible. Therefore, if we would know God and be godly, we must know the Word of God intimately. Amen. We must ask ourselves, do we desire to know God? Do we desire to be godly? If so, what are we going to do with this source of life? What are we going to do to produce knowing more about the Lord and knowing godliness? 
Do you have a plan? The plan is quite simple. You hear the Word, read the Word, study the Word. To do that, we must treasure God's breathed Word. We must continue in God's breathed Word. We must consider God's Word the sole source for knowing God and growing in holiness. So, now that I've done such an amazing job and we all value God's Word as we value breath in our lungs, it's a joke, it's okay to laugh. What are some practical tips for digging in? What are some ways that you can do this regularly? First, I want to ask the question, how often should we come to God's Word? There's a little book called How to Enjoy Your Bible. In this, the author John Blanchard, he says, surely we only have to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we need to turn to the Bible. He asks, how often do we face problems, temptation, and pressure every day? And how often do we need instruction, guidance, and greater encouragement every day to catch all these felt needs up into an even greater issue? How often do we need to see God's face, hear His voice, feel His touch, know His power? The answer to all these questions is the same every day. It's good and right for your souls to feed on the Scriptures every day. So give me, let me give you three practical tips real quick. They are quick, I promise. I, I want you to know there's not like a silver bullet to this. It really is a long obedience in the same direction. It's saying I'm going to wake up tomorrow and read the Scriptures. It's not going to happen instantly. You're not going to wake up one day and you're fully spiritually mature. It just doesn't work that way. I wish it did. I look back at my life now and I think, man, at 33, I thought I'd be a lot further along than I am. But I'm probably further along than I deserve. Amen? I think we can all say that. But it's a steady diet of just coming back to God's Word over and over and over. In the same way, I go back to three meals a day. Like, I ain't missing them. I'm disciplined to eat. Starting to show, but I am. All right. Number one, find a time. Find a time. The average reader can read through the Bible in 72 hours. Now, I'm not saying take the next three days and do that, but to give you an example, the average American watches that much TV in two weeks. 72 hours of TV in two weeks. Now, that may not be your life. But again, and no more than 15 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible in one year. We don't lack time, do we? We're not too busy. We're just disinterested. We don't treasure enough. So pick a time. The same time if you can. I know some of you are shift workers, so that's probably going to have to change some for you. But pick a time, plan it out. Don't think, okay, tomorrow I'll, just, I'll find a time to read my Bible. Think today before you lay your head down. All right, here's the time I'm going to read my Scripture tomorrow. Set an alarm. Do whatever you need to do to remind yourself, but do it each day and then read the Word. I prefer at the start of the day. It's just too, it gets harder and harder as my day progresses to, to make that time happen. 
I like to do it at the start of the day before I leave the house. Um, try to wake up before my other uh, wonderful distractions wake up and uh, and get to and get into God's word. Um, number two, you do have this Bible reading plan in your hand that we've given out. Now we are asking as much as you are able to do this, to join in this together, to read through this 2020 Bible reading plan. Uh, together now, if you look through that, what you'll notice about it is, is it's not a full Bible plan. All right, this is a 260 days a week plan. It's five days a week um, for a year, and it allows the weekends for um, catch up. Um, there are some memory verses on there that you could do. Maybe you could practice those on the weekends. Um, practice them during the week. You could read ahead, you could read extra, you know, there's there's extra days there, but that's to kind of help you be in it. Now, I will say, just right out of the gate, we didn't develop this ourselves. This comes from um, Robbie Gallaty's ministry, um, something discipling, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. The Bible plan is called Foundations 260, so, um, but anyway, so it comes from that, and I think that's all I wanted to say about that. It, it, oh, I was going to say, it captures really the big picture narrative of God's Word. All right, it's going to give you a really great overview. So if you're new to reading God's Word, you've never read it through once, uh, you've not read, um, it, you don't have really a good understanding of the whole Bible, then, then do this. I, I'm going to do this because I want to join you in reading this. I think it'll be fun to be doing this together. Um, Read for transformation. This is the last thing I want to tell you. This is kind of at the top of that guide, so you've got these notes there each day, but I just want to talk to you about it real quick. Uh, start with prayer. You pray before you read. Lord, open my mind and my heart today to hear Your Word. Second thing you want to do is read the passage. Uh, that may involve eliminating some distractions, right? Uh, maybe in prayer you realize, man, this is just too distracting a place, whatever it is. Uh, find a spot where you can read with minimal distractions or listen to God's Word. You don't have to be reading it. You can listen to it. There's uh, apps for that. There's uh, CDs for that. There's great ways to be doing that. Um, while you're doing it, find at least one word or phrase, uh, one sentence, one verse to meditate on. Something that you just, something that hits you. Maybe it's a promise. Maybe it's a... a um, a command, maybe it's a, a sin that's being revealed that you struggle with, think on that thing. Pray about that thing for a few minutes. Spend just a couple of minutes like really thinking on that and then try to make yourself think on it throughout your day. Uh, David Mathis says about meditation, he said it doesn't simply mean emptying our minds, but rather filling them with biblical and theological substance, truth outside of ourselves. And then chewing on that content until we begin to feel some of its magnitude in our hearts. Now, some of us walk away from Bible reading plans like this and we feel really cold. We feel like we haven't done anything. All right, we just feel blah and just like, uh, well, check the boxes. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to 
keep doing that, but to always be praying, Lord, open my heart and mind to understand Your Word today. Light my heart aflame today. Let me not walk away cold-hearted from this all the time. But one of the ways we do that is not just through prayer, it's through meditation. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan writer, he says this, he says, uh, the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. All right, so one of the ways that we really get that heart inflamed for the Lord is to be thinking about what we've read, allowing it to transform our minds, as Romans 12.1 says, so that we're not conformed any longer to the world, but now we're transformed by the renewing of this mind. All right, last thing I want to point out, apply it prayerfully. Apply it prayerfully. Don't walk away from a verse ever saying, all right, it says don't lust. I'm going to walk away and I'm not going to go lust today or ever again. <laughs> right? It says don't be angry. It says don't uh, slander someone. Don't gossip. Like, like, don't walk away from those saying, okay, I'm never going to do that again. You see something like that or there's a promise that you need to be believing for your life. There's something there that's speaking to you that you've now meditated on and you think, man, I need to apply this to my life. Pray about it. Pray. Lord, help me to apply this Whatever it is you're telling me to do, whatever that verse is asking of you, help me to apply this. Lead me to do it today. Amen? Don't go in your own strength doing those things. I think if we'll bookend Bible reading with prayer, we'll spend some time in meditation as we're reading our Bibles, we will uh, really kind of experience um, transformation through Scripture reading. So, Take your plan home. Let's begin it on Wednesday, actually. It starts January 1st. You can go ahead and read tomorrow. I understand maybe starting today or starting tomorrow might be the best way for you to form that habit. Do that, right? It's not going to hurt you to reread some stuff. Uh, so maybe you just read that first week together. Uh, one of the ways we want to keep this before you is each week in your worship guide, there's going to be a little portion in the back of there that reminds you of this week's readings. Uh, another way is we'll talk about it some during home groups. We'll talk about it during biblical manhood and womanhood when it gets rolling. We'll talk about it. Um, Celebrate Recovery is actually going to start talking through these things as well. That'll be a way that we can keep this thing in front of us all year long. Listen, you're going to miss a day. You're going to miss two days, three days, a week. Don't get frustrated. Don't let Satan win that battle. Pick it up right where you left off. God, Forgive me. I'm coming right back to this life source. I'm not going to get frustrated. Amen? Don't let Satan steal that from you. All right? You're going to miss. It's just, it's going to happen. But if you build it into your routine, it'll happen far less. If you'll do it when you first wake up, it'll be far less likely to happen. Amen? Amen. We were going to sing. We can sing, but we're pretty much out of time because, um, you know, God's Word. <laughs> um, I, uh, sorry, I shouldn't blame God's word for my long windedness. Um, I love you guys very much. This is your announcement. It's to read your Bible. <laughs> uh, biblical manhood will start back next Sunday night. Uh, home groups will start back on the 15th. All right. If you've not come to biblical manhood yet, come. If you're not in a home group yet, come talk to Jasper. I will get you signed up. Make sure you get in a group. Um, Let's commit to doing this. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Let me pray for you that the Lord would 
would be with you this week as you dive into this. I know it's another kind of hectic week with another holiday and and all of those things. Next time I see you, it'll be next year. <laughs> and uh, anyway, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you're so good. Um, so amazing. Lord, I pray that, that my people, these people, your people, really, I'm just an under-shepherd to you, Father. I pray that we wouldn't walk away from a message like this feeling burdened at all, but that we would be inspired, Lord, to get into your word become faithful stewards of it. And Father, we thank you that you have given us a book with, with your words in it. And all of it is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and godliness that we may be fully developed as disciples. Father, help us to take our scriptures seriously. Help us to Lord, if we need to fast some things over the next month or two or year, <laughs> social media and TV and some of those kinds of things, Lord, would you, would you give us the strength to do that? Help us to have the willpower to do those things. Help us to be disciplined, Father, to give up whatever it may take to get into your word. Father, I pray that this year would be a year for New Life Community Church where each one of these people and those who aren't able to be here, that, that would commit themselves to your word to see, Father, to experience, maybe for the first time, maybe afresh, what it's like to have your word wash over them daily. Lord, ignite our hearts to dwell with you each day. We love you so much. Father, if there's anyone in here whose heart is far from you, I know they're not too far for your saving. I know that you've brought all those who were once considered far away, you've brought them near. Lord, I pray that you would save them today. Help them, Father, to follow you, to join in this community of fellowship, this community of believers, and, and to walk faithfully with you. Lord, we love you so much. We pray for all those who aren't here because of illness and uh, flu-pocalypse 2019. Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us, Lord, to not spread this around. Lord, would you deliver us from it? Would you keep us healthy? Father, we thank you for a great year, a year in which we look back and we think, man, um, the Lord's good. He gives and He takes away and He's good. We love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.